everyone, and welcome to the Expediters Podcast, where you can hear about front-of-mind topics in the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today's topic, Disrupting Disruptions. We'll discuss how a global pandemic has changed supply chains, new relationships between service providers and their customers, and how your organization can determine your level of flexibility in arguably one of the most challenging times in recent memory. With me to talk about it is Vice President of Supply Chain Solutions at Expediters, Ian Mallison. Ian, welcome. Good morning, Chris. Hi, how are you? I am doing well. My coworker as of March uh, just sheds all over the place. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I have tried to strike up the odd conversation with goldfish, but other than not getting much feedback, so I'm still... I'm still pretty lonely here in Seattle. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Well, why don't you introduce yourself uh, to everyone listening? Um, what do you do now? And more importantly, why do you care about this stuff? Sure. Well, um, so I have the pleasure of being the VP for Supply Chain Solutions, which is a, a consulting group within Expeditors that helps customers sort of figure out what their supply chain should look like, how they should optimize it, or how they should make it more efficient or or cost effective. Um, so uh, I've I've spent uh, 30 something years um, sort of <laughs> developing a passion for supply chain and logistics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do do care very deeply about, you know, how things perform, um, both from just a, a customer integrity point of view, but also from a professional point of view, you know, I've, I've spent my whole life um, dedicating work and energy to trying to do the best uh, within the industry. So, uh, so yeah, I feel very passionate about it. Cool. Very cool. Well, it sounds like you then uh, have a lot of things to say about what's going on, right? You're the right person to talk to, I assume? Well, there's certainly a lot going on, Chris. Yes, <laughs> definitely. All right. So let's, let's get into it. Um, there are phrases that I hear everywhere. These unprecedented times, you know, the new normal and things like that. Yeah. A lot has changed. That goes without saying. But for context for people, what was supply chain like before COVID? What, were the, what was the old normal like in terms of um, procurement and things like that, sourcing and whatnot? Yeah, there were there were a few dynamics that were happening pre-COVID. Um, you know, we were we were right in the middle of sort of trade wars between Asia and the US, mm-hmm. and Brexit was happening um, or happened. Um, you know, and there's there's always been sort of situations of whether it's natural disasters or geopolitical tensions that have always sort of challenged the supply chain. So th- those things aren't new. Um, COVID has made a difference because it really is a, a global phenomenon, right. and it does exposed everybody to the situation um, whereas perhaps you know in the in the past it's been either uh, regionalized or a sort of a specialized area or or, or a certain industry mm-hmm. um, another, another area that's sort of been been interesting to watch you know, prior to covid it was very much the procurement age mm-hmm. um, you know uh, most most customers or most industries were looking were challenged with saving money or costs um, and and the procurement exercise was very very powerful um, uh, to the to, to the extent that perhaps the shipping industry has come a little bit commoditized um, and, uh, you know, RFQs were rife. It could be every three months, every six months, at, um, but regularly sort of constantly looking at, at trying to achieve cost out within the supply chain mm-hmm. and, and driving that through the procurement uh, environment. So, 
that 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 was no no doubt the industry had a challenge with that and and didn't really have the ability to perhaps invest um in uh in in its future uh, mm. and were searching for savings perhaps by introducing sort of new technologies or new ideas in order to maintain margins in that sort of more commoditized and procurement era a lot of thinking ahead to how to uh, keep a company going Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It makes me think of a Charles Darwin quote that you share in your presentations with customers. Um, it is not the strongest of the species that survives, uh, nor the most intelligent that survives. It's the one that is most adaptable to change. To change, that's yeah. right. Yeah. How does this quote yes. relate to what we're seeing today? Well, I, I think I think it's more relevant than ever. Um, you know, the, the the now the resiliency within the supply chain is is key to the future of of many companies, mm-hmm. um, and that ability to change that 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 having flexibility within your supply chain, having a, a, an open mind to say, well, what if something happens, as opposed to uh, you know ha- having a, a more sort of regimented fixed way of doing things um that that doesn't allow you to be able to shift and pivot and move given the circumstances so that that's certainly you know from a success um that we've seen within the industry now the successful companies have adapted Mm -hmm. and they are actually able to pivot and change and not just have sourcing from one location they've diversified their sourcing which was very much driven from past events such as trade wars and and you know natural uh, evolution people move their their sourcing around the world always have done Um, perhaps perhaps chasing sort of low-cost country environments or or new labor environments that that can be taken opportunities for so that, that that's that's always been the case uh, you know ever since i've been in the industry and probably before i'm sure so um so those things now are really coming to the fore that if customers have got successful supply chains and flexible ones with near sourcing and far sourcing and a nice balance of it and also having a very healthy relationship with their suppliers and perhaps not going down so so hard on that procurement road that I was talking about mm-hmm. um, because that can be quite a harsh environment if it's very much sort of arm's length well just give me a price and if if I don't like your price I'm going to go somewhere else um, th- those practices now in today's world where partnership is going to be key to success and working together to sort of navigate these troubled waters um, you, you're going to need strong partnerships and and strong relationships to get through that and there's been some great examples of that um, in the web where large companies have helped um, fund suppliers who are going through tough times and had to had to furlough or lay off some of their staff and big supply um, a big company has been helping smaller suppliers with that challenge in in keeping them going which has been been wonderful to see you can't take the the approach of, well, I'll just take my toes and go play elsewhere if I don't like what you're giving me or if I don't like the relationship that I have. Everyone's got to work together, it seems like. There, yes. There's no buyer's market, seller's market or anything like that But in, in this case. Uh, and not now, no. Um, you know, say, say before, perhaps you had some aspects of that. But now, sure. given the circumstances with um, just the, the world at, at large, um, whether it be from a, a demand perspective, you know, it's, it's still unknown what the future is going to be look like because you've got different waves of activity in different countries. So some are doing better than others. Some regions within countries are doing better than others. Mm-hmm. Some have moved forward. Some have moved backwards, sadly. Um, <laughs> um, so from a demand perspective, you don't know if you're predicting, well, I'm going to have X amount of products 
purchased by this country that you you don't know that anymore you know the the history books have been thrown out of the window to a certain extent mm-hmm. you don't know what people are going to buy now or, or how they're going to buy it or when they're going to buy it um, and the same goes for the supply. Um, factories are, are taking a little bit of time to get come back up to full capacity. Many still aren't because of social distancing and rules mm-hmm. associated with with the situation. So there are there are challenges around sort of the human aspect of getting people back to work. Um, so full production in many circumstances is 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 not available. And then you've got sort of the, the transport industry, which has got its own challenges again. From a human perspective, you've got you've got aspects around that, but just the the air the airline industry has uh, has restricted uh, the, the amount of flights. The shipping industry now is consolidated as well. So there, there's the many many factors. You know, we could take up ten podcasts just talking about this one <laughs> aspect, Chris. But sure. uh, but you know, for sure, supply and demand is very challenging at the moment. And and no, if you look into the crystal ball, it's going to be very murky um, still for the future. So then let's bring you in and what you do and, and other people like you in the industry that, that provide the service that you uh, provide. What is supply chain design? What is supply chain? Or is that similar to supply chain? I've heard uh, management and supply chain solutions. Um, are they all the same? What's the difference? And uh, what's most common right now in the industry for when people uh, refer to it? I, th- I think I, I mean, supply chain design, again, is I'm, I'm a little bit biased here, of course, but uh, <laughs> supply chain design is, is probably more critical now and vital in today's world than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the what if scenario, what if I change something, what if I do something or what happened when I, I move or change or, or uh, speed up or slow down, all of these what if questions um, are so powerful in today's world. Um, and also, it's certainly got the attention of the C-suite within most companies. Sure. The, the, the supply chain has risen right up there. Um, and it, it really is is the critical aspect of the success of a company now. Um, and, and, and how you succeed within that area is going to affect the performance of the company. So designing what it's going to look like, designing for resiliency, designing for... Um, flexibility. Um, many companies, as I said, perhaps have been successful in that in the past, but many haven't. Mm-hmm. So for for those companies that perhaps didn't uh, weren't so forward thinking and have the have the option of changing things around with little impact to their supply chain, have have struggled to be honest in uh, in in reacting to the to the latest situation. So. Sitting down and saying, okay, let's take a look at what we've got. Um, where could there be challenges? What if a certain aspect of the supply was cut off? What if a certain aspect of the demand was cut off? What if we uh, moved it around? All of these what-if questions, Chris, sure. uh, are now more prevalent than ever. And, and having, a, having a design team or an environment that challenges what you do today um, and has some sort of continuity plan for the future is more critical than ever. Given all these what if questions, mm. do people not run the risk of pigeonholing themselves into specific contingency plans uh, in order to address change, even though it's so unpredictable? I, um, I, I think I think the opposite would be the case, actually, in that mm. rather than pigeonholing yourself um, and being in a rigid environment, the, the key to the future of success is going to be actually not pigeonholing yourself mm-hmm. and and being more flexible. 
So having multiple options from a sourcing perspective, not just sort of one or two. Again, going back to that sort of procurement age, the trend was, well, let's consolidate all of our volumes into perhaps one supplier and negotiate a very good volume deal with that one supplier. Mm-hmm. And that on paper sounds great and, of course, was. But then you're at risk then that if that one supplier has some challenges, such as a COVID epidemic, for instance, sure. then uh, then then that supply is cut off. And then you're scrambling to say, oh, you know, I've still got business to maintain around the world, albeit volatile, but I need supply. Um, and it's very, then, very difficult to be able to sort of um, shift into a new environment because, of course, everybody else is already shifting as well. So it, it, that, that's where that volatility kicks in. So a, a, good, a good sort of a best practice or a good example of that is how people have, have looked at multiple sources and also sort of diversifying their inventory levels as well. Um, again, that was a big cost to a lot of companies having in- inventory is a large cost, mm-hmm. um, but having multiple inventory locations spread around the world helps customers or helps our customers um, react quicker to the situation. You know, we're now seeing that customers are ordering smaller quantities, but more often a lot mm-hmm. of e-commerce and curbside pickups and things like that um, are, are now sort of becoming very popular. Um, they were they were before COVID, um, just not as much. I think that that aspect of our life has accelerated quite dramatically, um, uh, just because it's had to. But uh, but having so having inventory levels close to the consumer is is now key to a successful business as well rather than perhaps the old model of, well, I'll just have one inventory location in one country and then I'll service my business from there. So more diverse uh, warehouse locations is sort of a a new norm as well. It's very much being established. That also means more competition for that warehouse space if everyone's trying to spread themselves out more thinly, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 that's been an interesting it's been an interesting journey as well. You know, mm-hmm. when when the lockdowns happened, there were already there was already a lot of stock within the supply chain mm-hmm. um, that had nowhere to go. So orders were already flowing. Um, so all of a sudden, sort of warehouses started to fill up because that was the place to store it. And um, companies had a choice. Well, you know, either I store it and hopefully I can sell it at a later date or I'll discount it and sort of move it on. Or, you know, if it's seasonal, well, hopefully I can keep it for next year and I'll sell it in the season next year, for instance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but whichever way you look at it, they got they, they have to stop the flow somewhere. And the most obvious part or the most obvious place to stop it was in a warehouse. Um, you can't stop it on a ship and you can't stop it on an aircraft. And the factories that were produced it, um, they, they don't have any storage capacity either. Um, and that was also part of the sort of phenomenon that was going on that many factories were approaching said well can you stop manufacturing please because my warehouses are full i've got no i can't take any more because right. not, it's not being consumed so that was also one of the challenges that factories had but uh, i said oh you know how, how do i stop making something how do you stop a, a factory from producing so many many challenges that were going on within the situation it just goes to show that, you know, like you're saying earlier, partnership relationships, those are like a, a strong understanding and communication so that everyone can win. For um, sure. For no sure. one's holding any kind of power over, over another because that's just not helpful in this in this climate. Right. And that, that's that's very much the key going forward as well. You know, that, right. and, and that that will allow companies to come out of this situation quicker if they have very strong partnerships and bonds with their suppliers. Um 
then that that just bodes well because say, every, everybody's in the same boat to a certain extent mm-hmm. um, and uh, and there are challenges out there and if you work together in a partnership um, and implement a, a, a good resilient um, supply chain with with the design aspects okay let's take a look at it where can we change things where can we improve things what if something happens within the supply chain in the future how will our business cope with that mm-hmm. um, bearing in mind that COVID is probably the biggest wake-up call that's ever happened um, whereas companies perhaps before said that you know that's fine you know if if we approach or if we encounter any challenges we'll just ride through it like we always do Not this, this one this one's brought <laughs> a lot of people and a lot of companies to its knees right um, and uh because it, it has just been such a global phenomenal uh, phenomenon so um you know it, it's ha- having a strong resilient supply chain and having a really uh, good design aspect um would, uh, would would really bode well for the future so then for people out there uh, who work in um, the flow of goods and procurement and, and for their company's own respective supply chains, how can they perform a good pulse check to see if they uh, have a resilient and flexible uh, supply chain design? Yeah, good good question. The um, well, there's there's many. I mean, da- data is king, of course, always has sure. been. But the the problem with data is just the accuracy and the timeliness of that data. Mm-hmm. Um, to to try to find out, okay, so how did my supply chain perform, or how will it perform going forward? Um, can take a lot, an awful lot of work because it involves multiple data sources. Um. And, uh, and the ability to be able to mash all of that data together and understand what it's telling you. And sadly, in many cases, data is, is very poor quality. So mm-hmm. if you do mash it all together and look at it, you go, huh, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. um, you know, I, I, this can't be right. Or, and, and nine times out of 10, it's not. So to create a, a healthy and safe data environment is key. And, and one of the aspects, again, of the sort of the new era is something called the digital twin that's been um, digital twins aren't new. Digital twins have been created in many industries in the past. Sure. So sort of great. So if, if you think of a of a, a simulator, you know, you go to the fairground and you drive a car in, a, in this in this weird simulator environment. Mm-hmm. So that simulator is a digital twin of, of a real car. And it, and it reacts to you doing things. So if you turn left, it will turn left. If you turn right, it'll turn right. Um, so that's the same now in the supply chain. If you can plug in all of your data aspects into a digital twin, then that allows you to be able to simulate change and simulate the what-ifs that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. um, in a safe environment. You're not playing with the reality. So you're not driving right, it's all a, in a vacuum. car. Yeah. You're, not, you're not learning to say, oh, well, <laughs> what if I turn left here and uh, you know crash the car? You're in, you're in a safe, you're in a safe uh, digital environment, which allows sure. you then to be able to see exactly what's going on. Um, and that's a very powerful tool to then be able to utilize. If people want to take advantage of that tool, um, I guess how much data would would a company need to to get involved well, the, in that the, kind of the thing? The more, the more, the better. Sure, is, the, right. is the quick answer to that. But you can start small and build. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes a while. Uh, those those 
cleansing of data challenges don't go away. It's not like a magic wand. Um, but through machine learning and experience and, and human touch, you can sort of understand, okay, so I, I can now see where the flaws or holes are in this data mm-hmm. uh, and fix them, uh, or at least make some assumptions around them to, to, to fill those holes. And then you've got a, a far better f- platform to be able to work from and understand, okay, so this is my day to day. This is what's happening today. This is my base case. And now if I squeeze one end or release another end, or if I change it a little bit, or if I move it, then what does that look like in that digital environment? Whether that be from an efficiency point of view or a cost point of view, or potentially an environmental point of view, you can you mm-hmm. can sort of build carbon aspect into that too. So, um, you know, w- whatever your scenarios are, you can then play in that sandbox quite safely. Um, but but the, the richer the data, the better. So the more aspects, the more information you have, the, the better the decision making. It's still, it's still not a perfect science, though. It, it informs you of areas of opportunity. But, uh, but you know, it still allows you as a human being to, to make the decision whether you feel it's right or wrong to do that. Uh, before we close, I wanted to ask, uh, next to data, what are the kind of considerations and questions can people be asking themselves uh, in order to maintain this resiliency and, and stability? Well, again, you know, down to the supply and demand, um, there's a couple of things there. So from a demand perspective, you know, if, if your demand shuts off or if it rises rapidly, are you in a good place to, to cope with that situation? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of black and white. If it goes up dramatically or if it goes down dramatically, what does that look like? And what are your contingency plans around that? The same from a supply perspective of good supply. Um, if it goes up or if it goes down, how do you cope with that? And the, the bit in the middle, the services bit, where of course we sit, Chris. Sure. Um, you know that that's that's just as vital. So uh, you know you might solve the bookends bit of you know where what which factory is producing what and where it's coming from, and you know where it's going to be consumed. But how do you get it from one side of the world to another? Mm-hmm. Um, and working with credible and healthy companies that will support you. Um, and not take advantage of the situation too. It must be said. So uh, you know there, there are so th- those partnerships that we talked about earlier are right the way across the piece. Um, and we're very proud of the partnerships that we have with our customers. Um, th- that's been formed over many many years. Um, and uh, and I, I know they appreciate our sort of help through these sort of very volatile times. Uh, if people wanted to learn more about you uh, or more about what you do, uh, where can they reach you? Where can they find you? Uh, well, I, I guess a couple of areas. So I'm, of course, I'm in the Expeditors leadership team. So uh, very proud of that. So always, always look me up on the uh, on the website for expeditors.com um, mm-hmm. or on LinkedIn. You know, the sort of the classic classic area where people find each other. Um, but al- always happy to answer any questions. Or uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a uh, I, I'm a logistics geek, so uh, I, I'm so seriously, seriously into sort of helping people. I like to work with universities and things like that too, to sort of give back. Um, so always happy, always happy to have an opinion about the world of logistics. So always happy to help. Cool. Thank you so much for your time, Ian. Really appreciate it. It's good chatting with you. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expeditors, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expeditors.com. 
Take care, and I'll see you next time.